this morning we are going to be in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. Mark 9, 33 through 37. And, uh, it's on page 844 in the Black Pew Bibles, if you're following along there. Mark 9, 33 through 37. And the title of this sermon is Servants Above Sovereigns. What does it mean to be great? Our society is obsessed with greatness. We even regularly use the acronym, the GOAT, to describe someone who's the greatest of all time. On basketball, that's easy. Sorry, LeBron fans, it's Michael Jordan. Surfing, Kelly Slater. Football, I won't go there. But who's the greatest person? In 2005, the Discovery Channel did a four-part series titled The Greatest American, where host Matt Lauer walked through biographies and lists of influential people in U.S. history. Uh, This show culminated actually with a contest in which millions of Americans voted on who they felt was the greatest American. Ironically, Muhammad Ali, who regularly touted himself as the greatest, came in at number 21. Lance Armstrong came in at 20, Walt Disney, 13, Oprah at 9, and Elvis Presley at 8. Abraham Lincoln came in second, but at the top was Ronald Reagan. Quite an interesting list. I'm not even sure what the qualifications for greatness entailed. But think about that for a moment. What does it mean to be great? Who would you say is the greatest person in American history? Or in history in general? What qualifies someone as great? That's the topic that Jesus tackles head on in today's text. So let's dive in. Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Our two points for today's text are these. Point one, a principle given in verses 33 through 35. And then point two, a parable in verses 36 through 37. So point one, a principle. Remember, three times in the last chapter and a half alone, Jesus has foretold his death. He told them that he's a suffering servant and that to follow him means taking up a cross. Yet, here they are. It's almost laughable. Now look again at verses 33 and 34. 
It says, And they, meaning the disciples in Jesus, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. So they're back in Capernaum. This was Peter and Jesus' home base. So the house that they're in is probably Peter's here. And Jesus just drops this question uncomfortably right in the center of the room. Can you imagine that? (laughs) You as a disciple, you know what you were discussing on the way. You know at this point that Jesus knows what you're discussing on the way. You can almost see the disciples' eyes drop straight to the floor, wishing that they were anywhere but there in that moment. Jesus had told them that to follow him means selflessness. And there they are, arguing about who's the greatest. Peter, James, and John probably making the case. We're the greatest. He he took us up on the mountain, remember? And we can't even tell you what happened up there. It's that exclusive. Peter probably chiming in. Guys, remember, uh, above the three, uh, he told me that the church was going to be built on me. Remember that? At least on my confession, anyway. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. You can see Jesus walking in front of him shaking his head. They didn't get it. But as always, even this was a discipling moment. It's always a discipling moment for Jesus. So what does he do? He sits down. And I want to be clear here. This sitting down that Jesus is doing was a very cultural thing. If I were to sit down to teach on a Sunday morning you'd probably think, well, that's weird, and it would be. But this wasn't. This was a rabbinical posture of formal teaching. The rabbis didn't stand to teach. They sat with their followers at their feet. What Jesus is signaling here is that he's about to teach them something very important, even central to discipleship. Many call Mark chapters 8 through 10 Jesus' discipleship discourse, and it is. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? It means believing that Jesus is the Christ. He taught them that very clearly in Mark 8. It means following him into suffering, dying to self. We saw that at the beginning of Mark, or the end of Mark 8. It means valuing him above possessions and praise. Saw that in Mark. It means listening to him. We saw that at the top of the mountain. We've seen all of this in the last chapter. And now he sits down to teach them and us this morning yet another key lesson on discipleship. Look at verse 35. And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant. Of all. Once again, uh, this is countercultural and it flips the world's understanding upside down, doesn't it? To live, you must die. To save your life, you must lose it. To be first or to be great, be last. Be a servant. 
This is absolute foolishness according to the world, right? According to the world, this isn't greatness at all. Greatness to the world looks like domination, being first, being served. It looks like people waiting on you, not you waiting on others. Jesus says the exact opposite. If anyone would be first, they must be last of all and servant of all. This just isn't how we tend to think, is it? I mean, let's be honest. When you were a kid, what did you talk about becoming one day? The president? A CEO? Probably not a servant. When we're kids, we all aspired to greatness. We just didn't think of greatness in the same way that Jesus does here. And I want to be clear. Jesus isn't knocking having aspirations or even being a leader like a president or a CEO. That's not what he's saying. I love what Danny Aiken says here. He says, Jesus does not repudiate greatness. He redefines it. Be great in things that matter to God, not man. It's possible to be a leader and to be great in Jesus' eyes. How? By being a servant of all. And the word Jesus uses here for servant is diakonos. The same word used in Acts chapter 6 that we're going to read here in a little bit. Translated serve or wait tables, diakonos. Same word that you hear we use in deacon. If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and deacon of all. Do you see this? Greatness in Jesus' eyes is servanthood. So, who's the greatest husband in the world? The one who leads his wife by serving her. Not the one who has the coolest hobbies, or the best paying job, or the most friends. The greatest husband is the one who leads his wife by serving her. If you want to be the greatest husband, do that. Who's the greatest mom? After all, it is Mother's Day. The greatest mom. It's the one who serves her family. Again, not the one who has it all together or the one who has all the right clothes for her kids. Not the one who, whose kids compete at average or better levels in athletics. Not the one with the most Instagram followers. The greatest mom is the one who serves her family. How about in the church? Who's the greatest church member? The one who's up front regularly? The one who brings a, a relevant vibe to the church? No. The greatest church member is the one who deacons or serves the church, God's people, humbly and consistently. Again, uh, understand that Jesus isn't saying we don't have ambition as Christians. We should. He's also not saying that we don't do our best. Paul was certainly a motivated, goal-oriented leader. Go read Philippians 3. 
He also encouraged aspiring to leadership. Go read 1 Timothy 3. But is the heart behind those things to be served or to serve others? Servant leadership. That's what Jesus is after here. And as with cross-bearing, I want to make this really clear. This isn't Jesus' call for so-called super-Christians. It's his call to all who would call themselves his followers. This is a key part of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. So, who was the greatest person in history? Without question, it was Jesus Christ. His whole life was one of not doing his will, but doing the will of his Father. On the night of his betrayal, even then, what do we see him doing? John chapter 13, starting in verses 1 through 5, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured out water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Then in verse 12, it goes on. It says, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Do you see that? The Son of God, the most powerful and preeminent human ever to walk this earth, down on the floor, Washing the disciples' disgusting feet. If any of us think that there's a job that's beneath us, we need to meditate on this text and repent. Think about this. Jesus isn't washing their feet because they deserved it. He even washed two feet that would betray him that night. He knew it. He washed them anyway. So ask yourself honestly this morning, is there anywhere in my life that I'm currently serving humbly, maybe hiddenly? If not, why not? Is there anywhere in my life that I'm serving humbly and maybe hiddenly? This is a crucial part of being a follower of Jesus. It's one of the chief marks of discipleship, actually. 
If you can quote the whole Bible, but you're not a servant, you've misunderstood what it means to follow Jesus. You're missing a key ingredient. If there's nowhere in your life that you're serving others, I'm pleading with you this morning. Pray about that. Make a change today. If you don't know where to get started, come talk to me. There are so many formal and informal ways to serve, both inside the church and outside the church. So, that's the principle. The greatest of all is the servant of all. But Jesus continues on with point two, a parable. Look with me at verses 36 and 37. So Jesus has just taught them a principle, and he's about to give them an object lesson here. Verse 36. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. So understand that in Aramaic, which Jesus would have spoken... The word for child and servant are the same word. So Jesus takes this child, sets, them, sets him in their midst, and takes him in his arms. But one more important piece of information to know here. Today, when we think about children, we think cute, adorable, fun, full of life. We rightly celebrate babies being born. We throw baby showers and get newborn photos taken. All of that's good and right. But in the ancient world, according to R.C. Sproul, he says, in the ancient world, the mortality rate was so high that a vast number of babies who were born perished before they were five years old. A little child was not considered significant until he reached an age when it was likely he would survive to maturity. So do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's taking a child that would have been seen to be insignificant, and he's receiving him, showing him honor and compassion and concern and care. He's serving him. This is the object lesson. It may be easy to read this verse and assume that Jesus is saying, be like a child, be humble. But that's not the lesson. If you think the natural disposition of a child is humility, you're probably not a parent. <laughs> Children don't naturally serve anyone. They actually rely on being served, right? Typically, one of the first words that a child learns after mom and dad is what? Mine! Me! Right? Their whole world revolves around two letters, M and E. So Jesus' point here is not be like that. Jesus' point is be like him. Be like someone who receives those seen as insignificant serves those who may not appreciate it and probably won't write you a thank you note for your service. Be willing to serve those who probably won't be grateful for you. You won't get anything in return for serving. 
See that? That's the object lesson. That's what it means to be truly great. Many of you have heard me quote Jeff Vanderstelt on this, but here it is again. So many of us love the idea of being a servant until we actually get treated like one. Most people don't treat servants very well or with great respect and applause for what they do. Ask a literal waiter or waitress sometime how often they feel appreciated or celebrated. Deaconing, waiting tables for people that you won't get any appreciation from and won't get a trophy for serving. That's greatness, according to Jesus. Friends, that's our calling. And we have the greatest example in the universe in Jesus Christ himself. Matthew chapter 20, verses 25 through 28. It says, but Jesus called them, the disciples, he called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came into this world, leaving heaven, not to be served, but to serve. And how did he do that, ultimately? By giving his life as a ransom for many. He came, he lived perfectly, died on the cross. Not for people who could pay him back or give him status or really anything. He died for sinners. He died for those who were dead in their sins. The king of the universe died for rotten, rebellious, ungrateful people like you and me. And When we turn from our sins and trust in him as our only hope of life and death, we will be saved. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's true and ultimate greatness. If you've never given your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, by repenting and believing, we invite you to do that today. It's the greatest news from the greatest person in history. This good news will transform you from the inside out. Follow Christ. Follow him into servanthood. Follow him into greatness. If you are a Christian, the response to this good news is a life of imitating Christ in this. Santa Cruz Baptist. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our call. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 11. That's our call, Santa Cruz Baptist. Jesus was great. Jesus was great. Go and do likewise. Let's pray.